So the title of the message this morning and what I'm speaking about is the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. And this is part one, um, and it'll probably be over three weeks that we speak about the fruit of the Spirit. Please turn so long to Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22. We'll get there in a few moments' time. So the message is the fruit of the Spirit. And I'd like to begin by saying that we are probably all aware of this concept of the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, at least if you've been serving the Lord for a little while, I'm sure you've heard of it and uh, you've heard it mentioned. But uh, uh, also, if we were to call upon anybody to mention a few of the fruit of the Spirit, I'm guessing maybe at least two or three of them you might be able to mention. But if you can't think of any right now, don't beat yourself up on a Sunday morning, all right? We're here to love on you. Feel the love, all right? But think about this. Have you ever taken time to carefully reflect on the fruit? Have you ever taken time where you actually carefully reflect, you meditate on the fruit and the loveliness of the fruit of the Spirit? Because I would humbly suggest to you that perhaps for a number of us, we've lost our appreciation of the wonder of this passage, and we start reading the fruit of the Spirit, and we just go through A, B, C, D, E, F, G, love, joy, peace, patience. We just go through the list. And so today, we ask the Lord that He would deepen our appreciation for the fruit of the Spirit. And I say, let fresh wonder arise. Let fresh appreciation arise for this passage of Scripture about the fruit of the Spirit. Can I get an amen? Good. Let's read it. Galatians 5, which is Paul writing to uh, the church at Galatia. Galatians 5, verse 22 to 26, from the New King James Version, it says, and I'm not going to rush this, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law, and those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. I'd like to read it again, uh, this time just up to verse 25 in the Living Bible, just to give a slightly different flavor. It says, but when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, He will produce this kind of fruit in us. I just want to mention, out of what I've just read, notice the phrase, he will produce. I love that. When the Holy Spirit controls our lives, he will produce this kind of fruit in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And here, there is no conflict with Jewish laws. Those who belong to Christ have nailed their natural evil desires to his cross and crucified them there. 
If we are now living by the Holy Spirit's power, let us follow the Holy Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. And we say amen to the reading of the word of the Lord our God. So we're gonna take our time, as I said, and we're gonna look at each fruit one by one. We're not gonna rush. We're gonna carefully consider each one and allow ourselves a little bit of time to meditate on the fruit. So in total, there are nine fruit of the Spirit. And today, we're gonna look at the first three of them, love, joy, peace. Say that with me, love, joy, peace. And uh, each of my three points is related to those three fruit. Let's get into point number one. Number one, the Holy Spirit produces the fruit of love within us. And if you're making notes, I encourage you to write that down. The Holy Spirit produces the fruit of love within us. And it says in verse 22 of our text, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. So this is the first one we're tackling. Now, in Galatians 5, Paul, the apostle, he is contrasting the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. And it is quite a dramatic contrast because in the passage that we've read, just before this, in the preceding three verses, Paul lists no less than 17 works of the flesh. And they're quite some heavy things, and I'll just mention a few of them. They include things like sexual immorality, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred. I was just thinking about all the hatred that we've seen across the world right now, and people in hatred towards one another. That is a work of the flesh. Hatred is of the enemy, love is of God. But this is a work of the flesh that Paul is mentioning, hatred, wild parties, which are also called revelries or orgies, outbursts of wrath, etc. And so these are some of the works of the flesh. And then Paul moves on to describe the pure and the wholesome fruit of the Spirit. And after describing the works, the awful works of the flesh, it's such a beautiful relief to now focus on something which is pure, which is lovely, and which is beautiful, the fruit of the Spirit. It's also interesting how Paul differentiates between works, works of the flesh, and fruit, fruit of the Spirit. So there's this differentiation between works and fruit. Maybe if you think of works, you can think of maybe a factory, and there's something that is being worked at. But if you think of fruit, you can think of a garden where things just begin to grow. You see, works are produced by human energy. But in contrast, the fruit that we're talking about here is produced as a branch stays connected to its source. <laughs> and as the branch is connected to its source, it is not working. It is just being there. It is abiding. And so it's interesting, this uh, differentiation between works and fruit. 
But in terms of this aspect of fruit and the, the whole thing of abiding, it reminds me of John 15, verse five. It says, Jesus speaking, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit. In other words, child of God, if you stay connected to God, automatically fruit begins to come out of your life. It's the wonderful thing of being in communion with God. Now, we focus in here in this first point on love. And love is the first fruit mentioned. It's right at the top of the list. And it is foundational to all the other fruit. And it's kind of as though out of love, all the other fruit of the Spirit can flow from there. But love is the most important fruit of all. Love, love, love. And we know that the Bible tells us that God is love. Isn't that beautiful? That he is love. And he doesn't merely try to display love, but he is love itself. It's God's DNA. That's who he is. He is love. And therefore, you and I, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we need to show love, but not only show love, we need to be love. And that being love comes from abiding with the one who is love. And it says in terms of us as his disciples demonstrating love, John 13 verse 35 says, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another, the defining mark of a believer. Now, there's a Greek word that is used in our text today to describe love. The Greek word for love is agape. It's an unusual word. Maybe you may have heard it before. Agape, it occurs 116 times in the New Testament. But what is agape love? Because God says the fruit of the Spirit is love. He's saying the fruit of the Spirit is agape. Agape is this. It is affection. Agape is genuine care. Agape is benevolence. Another word for benevolence is goodwill. And agape is compassion. When Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with Agape, he was moved with compassion and then he met the needs of the people. And so that's what agape love is. And agape love really has to do with character. It has to do with commitment. Agape love, folks, it is not about feelings because otherwise you only love when you feel good. No, no, no. Agape love is a determined act of the will of the will. Now, in terms of this, I think it's fair to say that the world has a very different understanding of love. When they think of love, it is not the agape love that God speaks about. The world's love is really focused a lot on emotion, a lot on feelings, and also on infatuation. But agape love is very different. Agape love is beautifully described in 1 Corinthians 13, and Paul is writing there, I'd like to read it to you, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 to 7, and verse 13 in the New Living Translation. Now listen to this, it's explaining to you 
this fruit of agape. And it says here, love, the word is agape, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. And it keeps no records of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith. Love is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. I think of one of our worship team members who led worship, t- worship today, and his wife is very, very unwell at home. But you know what? He loves her, and he has been demonstrating this kind of love for his wife. And it goes on to say in verse 13, it says, these things will last forever, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. This is a powerful passage of scripture. And it's talking about this fruit of agape love. And I wanna remind you, child of God, that God calls you and he calls me to love. It is something that he actually commands us to do. He commands us to love him, first of all. He expressly instructs us that we should love other believers. We also have to love people who are outside of the household of faith. And here's the clincher. God says that you need to even love your enemies. Don't look at me. Don't get upset with me. God said that. (laughs) That we must love our enemies. Recently, in our staff devotions, uh, one of our team members, Grant, he shared something from an article. And these are practical ways of expressing love. Because sometimes we think, yeah, we want to love. We want to love the world. And a couple of practical ways that were mentioned in this article, I'm just gonna mention nine quick phrases. How do you love practically? Number one, listen without interrupting. Two, speak without accusing. Three, give without sparing. Four, answer without arguing. Five, share without pretending. Six, enjoy without complaining. Seven, trust without wavering. Number eight, forgive without punishing. And number nine, promise without forgetting. And so the last scripture that I wanna read under this point is Colossians 3 verse 14. It says, but above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And so praise God that this fruit of love can be in evidence and can be demonstrated in our lives. Point number two, the Holy Spirit produces the fruit of joy. Please say joy. Joy. The Holy Spirit produces the fruit of joy within us. Now, what is joy? According to the biblical definition, joy is calm delight. Joy is gladness of heart. And joy is contentment with God and contentment with his dealings. That is what joy is about. And joy is not something that disappears when circumstances get tough. 
Joy is not something that vanishes in the valley. Joy is something that abides because of the connection that we have with Jesus. Now, in my preparation, I discovered something very interesting related to joy, which I'd never seen before. I discovered that biblical joy has much to do about the awareness of our glorious salvation and awareness of our hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And part of the reason why we have joy in our lives is because we have this blessed hope and we have a salvation which is in Jesus Christ. And this is confirmed by Isaiah 12 verse three where it says, therefore with joy, that's the fruit we're talking about, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Notice that connection between joy and salvation, there is a connection. And that's why David cried out and he said, God, restore to me the joy of my salvation. (laughs) David had lost his joy. And it was actually through his own doing, through some of the things that he did, and he desperately wanted it back. But David also understood that that joy was linked to a revelation of salvation. That's why he said, I need the joy back, the joy of my salvation. The joy of knowing that we have an eternal hope, that we have salvation in Jesus Christ is part of what produces joy. It says in Nehemiah 8 verse 10, and I wanted to bring in the scripture under joy. It says that the joy of the Lord is your strength. And we know that when there's a deficiency of joy, we're not very strong. But we also know that when we have more of the joy of the Lord, we are stronger. But there's something that we mustn't miss. Notice the words, the joy of the Lord. This is very key. You see, I wanna ask you, whose joy is it? It's the Lord's joy. This is the joy of the Lord, which we get to take and receive as we are close and in communion and in fellowship with the Lord. His joy becomes our joy. And I found this very encouraging because it means, child of God, you don't have to try to crank up joy but you merely have to receive the joy of God through the Holy Spirit working in your life. And so we need to stay close to the source of joy, Jesus. And therefore Jesus said in John 15 verse 11, he said, these things I have spoken to you, that listen to this, that my joy, whose joy? Jesus' joy, may be in you, and that your joy may be full. It's so beautiful. And uh, years ago, Ron Canoli, he sang sang a song which had to do with with joy, And, and the song goes like this, Jesus, you're the center of my joy. All that's good and perfect comes from you. You're the heart of my contentment, the hope for all I do, Jesus, you're the center of my joy. And isn't that true? Jesus is the center of our joy. Now, I wanna ask you a little question here. If you want to have more joy in your life, or not just joy, if you want to have more of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, what is the real key? I mean, if we really break it down and make it simple, what is the real key? And I'll tell you, I believe it is this. Number one, 
relational closeness with God. And number two, by clothing yourself with fruit, good fruit. I wanna say it again, listen carefully. If you want more of the fruit of God in your life, this is how you do it. Number one, relational closeness with God. And number two, by clothing yourself with this fruit. And I wanna back it up from scripture. So in this passage that we're reading, when Paul introduces the concept of fruit in Galatians 5, that word fruit is filled with tremendous meaning. <laughs> fruit, you know what? It speaks of something that is produced without human effort. You cannot make fruit grow on a tree by your human effort. Yes, you can fertilize and see bigger fruit and so on, but also in your life, it's not like you can push fruit out of your fingertips. It doesn't work like that. Fruit speaks of something growing without effort. Listen to what one theologian says. The fruit of the Spirit is the spontaneous work of the Holy Spirit within us. In other words, this fruit comes as the automatic result of God's presence being within us. And this is what the scripture is saying. But I need to add, further to that, elsewhere in scripture, Paul the apostle, this same Paul, indicates that we should put on good fruit. Hmm. And it says in Colossians 3 verse 12, it says, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on. Please say those two words. Put on tender mercies. Kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. So here it says, put on. Other translations say, clothe yourselves. So this same apostle that was talking about fruit elsewhere in the word is now talking about clothing yourself with good fruit. So I ask yourself, I ask myself, which is it? Is it spontaneous fruit or is it clothing yourselves? Which one is it? And I believe that it is indeed both. I believe that you need to be close to God and then the spontaneous fruit comes through communion with God. But I also believe that you have to work together with God and you have to clothe yourself with kindness. And you have to clothe yourself with gentleness. And you have to clothe yourself with love. So on the one hand, God is working by His Spirit. It's an automatic work because of his presence in your life. And on the other hand, you are working with him and you are clothing yourself with this good fruit, with the fruit of love. Can I get an amen? amen. Come on, this group of 40 people in the house is a bit too quiet. Amen. amen. <laughs> Sorry, I'm picking on you. It's early in the morning. <laughs> on to point number three. This is a more brief point. The Holy Spirit produces the fruit of peace within us. Please say the word peace. The Holy Spirit produces the fruit of peace within us. What is peace? Biblically speaking, it is an inner quietness and trust in God's sovereignty and justice. It is also a deep knowing that God is in charge of the universe. Now, let me say this. I think of the coronavirus which is something which is sweeping the world at this point in time. Now, if you think that God has lost control, you will panic, no doubt about it. But if you are confident 
in God's sovereignty, then you will have inner peace in the situation. And I want to say to you that are believers that have lost your inner peace at this time, I want to say, be confident in the sovereignty of God. God is not fearful at this time. He is not by any means losing control. He is the sovereign God, the maker of heaven and earth. And one day every knee will bow before Jesus and declare that he is Lord. And so it's so important that we realize that God is still in control in this time. Amen. And the scripture says in Colossians 3 verse 15, it says, and let the peace of God rule in your heart. Would you say the word rule? Let it rule in your heart. In other words, peace should not be on the back burner, but peace should be right in the place of ruling in your heart. You know, as I'm drawing to a close, I wanna mention this story briefly. I think of the time when we bought this church facility. It was just after the 2008 economic crisis. It was the worst possible time that we could have tried to buy a church facility. And the purchase price was 40 million. By God's amazing grace, we had 20 million on hand, but we needed to approach the banking institutions for the other 50% for that 20 million rand. We needed that loan, but you know what? Bank after bank after bank just turned us down. We'd approach this bank and we'd say, we've been with you for such a long time. Can we have a loan? And they say, no. And the next one says, no. And the next one says, no. Strangely enough, I can honestly say to you that in that time, even although it didn't make sense, I had peace. I had a peace from God because I just sensed that God is gonna come through. God hasn't brought us this far to not take us further. And you know what? Eventually, one of the banks that turned us down, they came back to us. Can you believe that after turning us down, they came back to us and said, your loan is approved and praise God, we were able to purchase that facility. Hallelujah, praise God. But I can honestly say I had a sense of God's peace in my heart and I believe that it was because of the Holy Spirit, his presence in my life that was giving me that sense of peace. And the Bible says the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds. I wanna tell you, sometimes, if you don't even, if it makes completely no sense in the rational mind that you should have peace, because of who you're connected to, you can have peace in the craziest of situations. And so I wanna say to you, that even for people that are listening today, who you feel, well, John, I don't have much of the fruit of the Spirit in my life. I wanna say to you that fruit does take time to grow. And so be patient and realize that if you love Jesus, fruit is on the way. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you for this time around your word. We thank you that your word is powerful, living, and alive. And we thank you, God, that you produce the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And at the same time, we want to work together with you and, and put on and clothe ourselves with the fruit of love and joy and peace. So we thank you for this time around your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. God bless you.